0: For families that might be listening, I, I think that uh, this, is, this is a hot topic in the field and it's something that's, that's worth discussing with your doctor.
1: Welcome to Let's Talk CP, the new podcast series about all things cerebral palsy, presented by the Cerebral Palsy Foundation. Each episode features different clinicians, parents, people with CP, and other experts talking about ways to help you better navigate your journey with CP. I'm Jason Benetti, play-by-play announcer of the Chicago White Sox and ESPN, and I have CP.
2: And I'm Cynthia Fricina, the Vice President of Partnerships for the Cerebral Palsy Foundation and a mother of a daughter with CP as well. On today's episode, back by popular demand, we have part two of our discussion with Dr. Michael Kruer, who's here to join us today to talk more about genetics and the relationship of genetics to cerebral palsy. Dr. Kruer, thank you so much for joining us again today.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks again for having me.
2: Yeah, we're so excited because based on um, all the new research that we've been hearing about and the response to our first episode where you started to talk about genetic causes of CP and some of the research that you are doing, we really had a lot of families reach out and want to learn more. So though for those families who didn't hear the first one, we encourage you to go to cpresource.org under podcast, and you can hear all of our previous episodes, and you can also listen to Let's Talk CP on any of your favorite podcast platforms. So Dr. Kruer, for those who maybe didn't hear the first part, we'd love to first start out a little bit about you and your background and what you do, and then we're going to get more into the conversation about genetic considerations for CP and the research that you're doing.
0: Yeah. So, so, thanks, Cynthia. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a physician scientist based here at Phoenix Children's Hospital and, and the University of Arizona uh, College of Medicine in Phoenix. And um, I, my my specialty is in caring for um, children with CP and related disorders. And so, my my background uh, is as a pediatric neurologist specializing in movement disorders in children, um, and uh, as a specialist in developmental medicine as well. And For a long time now, probably about a decade, I've been very interested in trying to understand uh, what the fundamental causes of of CP are with the the hope that we would really be able to use this information uh, to not just band-aid symptoms, but uh, to really target what's going on in the brain um, in people with CP and uh, and treat the root cause of the condition. And that process has really led to my laboratory's current focus. On the genetic basis of CP,
2: that is so fascinating because Dr. Krueger, I know that you're aware that so many families, for for years, decades, have been told uh, that they, when they get received that diagnosis of CP, historically, they were not given, you know, any direction or information that this could be a genetic cause. How did that whole um, you know, how did the light sort of shine on this area that there could possibly be some genetic causes of CP?
0: Well, you know I, I think it's uh, there's been a couple of converging um, efforts that have really led us to to where we are now. Um, so there are a number of investigators and and research groups around the world uh, that are really trying to to get at the root of this this question. Um, For me, though, it actually stems back to uh, my training days when I I met a single family, uh, quite exceptional family, that really challenged my thinking and uh, challenged what I was being taught at the time, that that CP is not genetic. And it's through caring for members of of that family that uh, my eyes were opened, I guess, to this concept that CP in many cases, like other neurodevelopmental disorders, um, can be genetic in origin. And that's really been very exciting for me as a as a practicing physician. Uh, because we're we're now starting to not only see this this information begin to affect diagnosis, uh, but we're also, you know, what I think is most exciting uh, about all this is that we're starting to see this actually affect treatment. Um, and so we're we're very uh, very optimistic about what this is going to mean for the future of of c p care
2: that's so that's really exciting and it, it's so gratifying. I know being a parent of a of a daughter with c p you know we we wait we watch you know for any sort of breakthrough or or something promising and my understanding is that you do have some updates on research and and um national institutes of health n i h Funding for your research, and would love to have you give us an update, give all of our listeners an update about, about what you're working on and what your current research is, is looking like.
0: In, in terms of our, our current studies, uh, we, we, we're focused on a, a number of different areas, but, but really the, the fundamental um, theme, I guess, is that we're, we're trying to better understand uh, how genetic mutations, that, that, that is, um, how a, a misspelling uh, in the genetic code can actually lead to cerebral palsy in in certain individuals. Um, And this is by kind of affecting fundamental brain development uh, at an early stage. And we think essentially what's happening is that uh, each of our bodies has thousands of genes that are responsible for telling our brains how to grow and develop and and ultimately function. Um, Each of these genes is is like a tiny uh, recipe book within our bodies uh, directing these processes and taking a, a few cells um, very early in development and, and eventually um, getting them to the point where there are literally billions of interconnected uh, brain cells in an individual's brain that are communicating and integrated into a network. And so what we're we're starting to find um, when you really think about it, it it's amazing uh, given how complex normal human brain development actually is, um, that anything actually goes right when you start to really see the, the complexity of the process. Uh, but we're, we're finding that uh, for many individuals with genetic uh, forms of, of CP, there's a, a, a typo in, in just one out of the, the 3 billion base pairs that make up the human genome, um, or, or sometimes a, a small segment um, of the genome, the the recipe book of life, if you will, that that's actually missing, and these these small typos can actually mean the difference between having CP or not. And we think that this is because that these these typos cause brain development uh, to to turn left when they when it should turn right, for example.
2: How would um How would a family know if are there signs to look for if they you know. If they have a loved one that's been diagnosed with CP, in order to think about, well, gosh, maybe you know, maybe this is something genetic, or there's a genetic cause. You know, I should be looking more into. Are there are there clues or or guidelines that you could recommend?
0: Yeah, it's actually an area um, of very active research because we're we're trying to better define this. Um, I, I think that the the individuals that were finding um, a genetic cause for their CP and most frequently are folks that don't have another apparent reason for their CP. So um, you know, people that were not born premature, um, that did not have a lack of oxygen, uh, for whom there was there was not a stroke um, or an infection or any other of the major risk factors that are known to cause CP. Uh, We're finding that for a a large proportion of of those people, uh, we're able to identify a genetic misspelling that actually seems to directly lead to their CP. Um, So I I think that although that group represents an important subgroup, if you will, that there we're also finding, interestingly, that uh, for individuals that do have some of these traditional risk factors, we're identifying mutations as well. Uh, although to in, in, a, in a smaller proportion. And so I, I think that one of the reasons why I say this is an area of active research is because I think we, we really need to define this better to help guide practicing um, doctors and practitioners in terms of who should get genetic testing for their CP.
2: Are there guidelines that families could you know discuss with their primary care physician or look up online that would would lead them to think, you know, gosh, maybe I should have my my child or my family member tested.
0: Yeah, um, unfortunately, at this point in time, there's not, <laughs> and that's that's a that's a gap that we're we're actively um, aiming to fill with with our research. So we're we're hoping to use the research that we're currently working on now uh, with with other uh, many other collaborators. To, to answer that question scientifically and then to turn that into to guidelines that can help guide clinical practice. Some things to think about at this point in time are uh, if a, a child or an individual with CP um, does not have an obvious uh, environmental cause for their CP, if that individual has a normal brain MRI, that can also be very suggestive that there might be a, a genetic contribution And we're also seeing that for many individuals that that have genetic forms of CP, they might have other organ systems involved. So, for example, uh, they might have birth defects that could be, you know, very small in nature um, or large, uh, such as congenital heart disease. But none of these things are, you know, are, are hard and fast rules at this point in time. And so, uh, for families that might be listening, I, I think that uh, this is this is a hot topic in the field and is something that that's worth discussing with your doctor.
2: It's definitely a hot topic, that is for sure. Um, and one one question I know that I keep hearing a lot is, what is there a sort of a suspicion on your part of what percentage of CP diagnoses might actually have a genetic cause? Is there? I know that is sort of an evolving number, but is there there's sort of a th- uh, you know a thought about about what the actual percentage might be?
0: Yeah, it, it, it's a, it's again a, a very uh, controversial and important question, that, and I think that the the studies that have been done, both both by my group and and others, um, have come up with figures you know anywhere from uh, from fourteen to uh, to more than thirty percent of CT um, might be due to genetic mutations or, or misspellings in the genetic code, um, I, I think that we need uh, additional studies to really distinguish which, which risk factors are the, the major causes for CP. So I, I think, again, that, that more research is needed to really nail that down further. But what I find fascinating is that uh, even though I, like many others during my training, was taught that Lack of oxygen to the developing brain is, is the you know, number one cause of, of CP. Uh, we now know that, that, based on a number of studies, that likely amounts uh, or accounts for about six to ten percent uh, of CP. And so, it's looking like genetic contributions might be even more substantial than than lack of oxygen. Right, which uh, is something that if that holds up that that would be quite remarkable
2: right that would be a game changer i think there are so many common misconceptions about cerebral palsy and the cause and and one question i had i know you mentioned prematurity and obviously you know not all babies who are born prematurely end up with a cp diagnosis but that is a risk factor and are there other sort of considerations that a family who might have a baby that was born early, you know, that they should be looking at or considering as it relates to a possible genetic cause if their baby was also born prematurely or is it still too early to to, to make that hypothesis?
0: Um, well, again, not surprisingly, we, we don't have as much uh, data as we would like, so it's, it's difficult uh, to give you a, a precise answer that question. But I will tell you that we do have enough data at this point to know that some babies that are born premature may actually have a genetic condition that both predisposes them to the prematurity um, and also may, may predispose to, to CP. And so I, I think with, with that in mind, it's, it's you know not too early to start thinking about whether genetic contributions might be at work for a particular child. And so even though we, we don't have a grasp on what this means for entire population of, of people with CP, on an individual by individual basis, uh, we now have the, the tools where we can start to ask these questions and many times actually uh, offer answers to to families as to the, the question, what is causing my child CP?
2: And And speaking of that, is there an an age limit on diagnosis in terms of having a genetic cause. I know we talk a lot about children, youth, babies, but if there's an adult who might have been diagnosed, you know, with CP years ago, but then some of these risk factors or other, con- her, you know, considerations in their family that weren't obvious maybe a long time ago, but now. You know, are is it is it too late if you're an adult to be diagnosed with a genetic cause of CB CP?
0: No, and in, in, in fact, uh, some of the best questions that I get when I do um, public talks and presentations um, on this topic come from adults with with CP who have wondered as as to what the cause of of their own symptoms are, um, or sometimes from the the loved ones or family members of uh, of an adult with CP. So no, so our our genetic, um, you know, our genetic makeup, by and large, doesn't change much throughout our lifetime. And so that's something that if a person does have a genetic cause for their CP, that can be detected in, in childhood, um, but it can also be detected in adulthood. One caveat that, that can sometimes make things a little bit more complicated is that we're finding a lot of the genetic forms of CP arise what's called de novo. Um, seemingly out of the blue, which means that neither the mother nor the father carry that misspelling in the particular gene that leads to CP. And for those individuals, um, it can can actually be very, very helpful to test both the mother and the father, as well as the individual with CP, to just do a a comparative analysis and, and essentially ask the question, what's different about this person with CP? What's different about the child in their DNA and their genetic makeup um, that might have led to their CP? So having parents uh, willing to participate either in in clinical testing or in in research studies like the ones that we're doing is very, very helpful. So for example, for our current research study, there's no age limit uh, to to participate. We're, We're accepting both children and adults with the caveat that uh, the parents need to be available to, uh, to participate because that information can be so valuable.
2: Well, I know the question of all of our listeners right now, um, now that you've said that, are how, how would a family get involved in your study? How would they sign up? Do they have to live in, in uh, the local area or is there, you know, is it more broad than, than um, the Arizona area where you are?
0: Yeah, so uh, we, we've actually partnered up with the Cerebral Palsy Research Network uh, for our current study, which is funded by the um, the gracious support of the National Institutes of Health. And so, through that collaboration, uh, we're working with the uh, the CP Research Network doctors, therapists, and, and researchers and advocates to gather data as people are actually seen. And so just by receiving care at a CP Research Network site, the network is collecting data for the purposes of improving care for people with CP. The partnership with the CPRN is allowing us uh, to basically match the genetic information of those individuals that are interested in participating. So for example if a if a family uh, receives care at a participating CP research network site then just by uh, virtue of receiving care at that center they're eligible to participate in our genetic research study and uh, that genetic research study is something that's available to to folks across the country the process itself actually involves a fully electronic self-contained consenting application so basically you can pull this up on your, your smartphone um, or your home computer, enroll yourself and your family members in the study, and uh, be able to, to participate free of charge.
2: Oh, that's amazing. And we will include all of this information on our podcast show notes, as well as our website, cpresource.org, so that if you're listening and interested in learning more, you'll be able to know where to go and and what to do to get that information So Dr. Krewer, I have another uh, question, because this is really such a fascinating field of study of of your work to date. How many different genetic causes of cerebral palsy have you found so far?
0: Yeah. So when we first were going into this, uh, we we thought that we might find more than one. And uh, you know, in retrospect, we were right in that regard. But I I think that uh, I am continuously humbled by how complex the human brain is. And we're we're finding certainly not just one, not just dozens, uh, but probably hundreds of different genes that are important for normal brain development may be relevant for CP. And what we think is is occurring is that there are essentially hundreds of different ways that if a gene that normally helps the brain to grow and develop and function picks up a, a mutation or a misspelling, that that can affect early development and lead to CP. So that can be a bit overwhelming to think about hundreds of different genes uh, leading to to CP, but that's actually on par with with what we're seeing for other neurodevelopmental disorders, Uh, whether you're talking about learning problems, um, autism spectrum disorders, or even epilepsy. What's been heartening, I'll say, though, is that we're not finding so far that these genes are just randomly distributed. It's, It's not just completely random what these genes seem to be doing instead, they seem to be falling into certain patterns or networks and these gene networks are important for fundamental processes in normal human brain development.
2: Wow, that that is really helpful information. Um, of all of that, are there have you found that there are some more common? genetic causes? I mean, are there certain deficiencies or certain things that seem to cluster together that you have found so far or, or not really?
0: Yes. So, so in fact, uh, some of the genes that, that we found are important for the, the very process by which early brain cells will kind of grow and sprout connections, almost like branches and leaves on a tree. If those connections and the process of forming them are disrupted, that means that brain cells might not be able to communicate effectively and form a network, talk with their neighbors to form a, a functional motor unit, for example. And so we're, we're finding that, that certainly some of those physical connections are disrupted. We're finding that some of the, the molecules that govern early brain development also seem to be affected. But what's, what's been quite interesting is that we're, we're finding um, sometimes the same genes are, are hit again and again. And so even though there are looking to be hundreds of different CP genes, quote unquote, it's seeming like certain genes are, are actually more common than others. And so one of the implications here is that some of these genes are already known uh, to cause certain rare disorders. And it's actually opened up a really rich dialogue between families and researchers and, and physicians that, are, that care for individuals with, um, with rare disorders. Uh, because I, I think from a certain point of view, one might argue that an individual who has a mutation in a gene that affects brain development and leads to learning problems and seizures and CP um, might in fact have a rare disorder. Other people might look at that same scenario and say, well, that individual has CP. Um And so the, the debate in the field is, well, which one is right? Um, and I, I, I think that as far as my own perspective, I, I think they're both right. I think both perspectives are very valuable. And so for families, I think it's valuable to have a connection, in some cases, to the rare disorders community. Um, but I also think it can be very, very valuable for those families to have a connection to the cerebral palsy community. And I think through this kind of crosstalk, and, and collaboration, we're really going to be able to to help move the needle.
2: Well, the million dollar question, then I think probably many families would want to know is if they are diagnosed with a genetic any of these mu- genetic mutations, are there any promising treatments for them that have you know shown up or that uh, you know of? Is is it like are any of them a treatable situation?
0: The, the short answer is that. So far, a small proportion of them do have specific treatments outside of the usual symptomatic treatments um, that uh, that individuals with with CP might undergo. So, for example, uh, for some individuals with CP will identify a genetic cause for their symptoms, um, and that can be very valuable information. It can provide a sense of closure for the family. It can give them a sense of what their uh, risk of recurrence might be if they have Uh, other children. It can even give uh, their doctors the ability to potentially prevent certain complications before they arise. But for for many individuals, at this point in time, it won't fundamentally change their CP care. For probably around uh, 10% um, of those individuals, though, we're now starting to find that the genetic information knowing the cause of their CP actually can influence their treatment. Um, And this varies based on on individual cases. So depending upon what we find will determine whether or not there's anything additionally that can be done for treatment. And when I say treatment, sometimes this means, uh, again, avoiding potential complications. Sometimes this means uh, actually uh, using dietary therapies Uh, for example, that otherwise never would have been considered for for CP. In other cases, this means that people and their families might be eligible for clinical trials that are going on. And uh, perhaps most excitingly, we're also starting to find that for a small but growing subset of individuals with genetic forms of CP, we're able to reach for something off the shelf, a, a medication or a treatment that might have actually been developed for a different reason or a different condition, uh, but that can be repurposed and potentially used to to treat uh, the underlying cause of, of their CP. This is leading to, you know, a, a really fascinating borderland between research and clinical medicine, and and this has really been the one of the things I've been most interested in recently, because these so-called N of one trials, this uh, this space allows clinicians and researchers and families to work together to really try to see if sometimes potentially exciting new treatments might be able to be utilized appropriately for an individual with a genetic form of CP.
2: This is such exciting and hopeful information, for the field. So I so appreciate you sharing it with our listening audience. One question I'm sure that also families are, are wondering is what kind of clinician should refer a family to genetic testing? You know, if, if some of this is a, a concern to a family, you know, what What would they do next?
0: Yeah, so I I think CP care is is interesting because um, it affects so many different domains of development and and function in in the the person with CP's life. It really does take an entire team of experts and and often specialists in order to be able to uh, effectively care for that individual and and provide him or her with the supports that they need. And so, it, as it turns out, uh, people will actually identify uh, sometimes, you know, very different providers uh, as the, the primary individual that, that cares for their CP. What I would say is that it's more important than the, the um, precise specialty or, or field of expertise of that provider. is just that the family has someone that they can go to, that they trust, that, that knows um, themselves or their child uh, and they can kind of serve as a sounding board, and so in some cases, uh, this means that a family might be able to approach the individual, the, the provider that cares for their um, their CP uh, principally, and that individual might be knowledgeable in this area and might be able to help guide genetic testing. In other cases, that individual can kind of serve as the quarterback of the team and uh, get them to to someone who who can. Uh, and we're finding that this, this varies. Uh, sometimes that, that individual might be a neurologist. Sometimes it might be a developmental pediatrician, a peds rehab doc, a genetic uh, counselor, uh, or a clinical geneticist, uh, among, among others. So I, I, I think that although the, the final destination can, can vary from case to case, just starting the conversation is the, the most
2: important step. Oh that's that's really helpful. And is there any other information or advice for families that you that you would like to share about this in terms of things they should be keeping in mind if it turns out that their child does have a genetic cause with CP or just even a family who is wondering about this because they don't know exactly what caused their child's CP diagnosis.
0: Sure. And, and I guess what in, in some what we're we're finding is that um, the wise do matter. And and sometimes the whys might matter just to have a more complete understanding of what caused an individual CP, but might not necessarily directly uh, change their care at this point in time. However, I, I think the field is rapidly changing. And as our understanding of brain biology is, is improving, um, and as therapies are, are moving along at a, at a rapid rate, I, I think that over time the the number of individuals for whom we're able to target their symptoms based upon the cause of those symptoms is only going to increase and so you know research never moves as fast as as we all wanted to but anything that can be done by by families and advocates and and those in the field to support this work uh, and to really help to, to improve awareness and understanding is, is going to, I think, uh, circle back and, and pay dividends for, for years to come. And so I, I think that just increasing awareness, having conversations, um, and then just uh, just being aware of what might uh, be the, the cause of an individual's CP um, is going to prove to be increasingly important um, in making treatment decisions. And so I, I think the future, the outlook is, is very
2: hopeful. Well, thank you, Dr. Kruer, for joining us today on another great episode of Let's Talk CP. You can find all of this information on cpresource.org, as well as your favorite podcast platforms.
1: Thanks for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk CP. I'm Jason Benetti, CPF ambassador and sports television announcer. If you like our show and want to know more, please visit our new CP Resource page at cpresource.org, where you can listen to all of our episodes and subscribe so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in Let's Talk CP, we'd appreciate a rating. And please tell a friend or another family member about the show to help others and increase cerebral palsy awareness and education. Be sure to tune in to Let's Talk CP for our next episode. This
2: podcast represents the opinions of our guests, and the content should not be taken as medical advice. Each person and situation is unique, so please
1: consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.